You're listening to Women Heard, presented by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser Ilkovich. And today I am lucky enough to have Atusa Rubenstein on our show. She is the former founder of Cosmo Girl, former editor in chief of Seventeen, and the creator of Atusa Unedited on Substack. Hello, Atusa, and welcome. Hello, so good to see you. <laughs> so good to see you. For our listeners, Atusa and I worked together many, many moons ago, um, and we were just catching up on that time. Such a, a different, it was a different world. We'll get to some of that today. Um, oh, yeah. But it's so, so great to see you, to talk to you. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here and so proud of you, girl, doing so much, both in your personal life, your work life, all of it. It's incredible. Thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, our work together helped shape me along the way. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Beat you down, made you ready, for, <laughs> ready for whatever life had to offer. <laughs> I am prepared. I, I am prepared. On each episode of our podcast, we start by asking our guests what they think is the biggest challenge facing women in the workplace today. So I want to start there. want to hear what you think um, about that. Yeah, I mean, I might say something kind of different than most people. Um, to me, the biggest challenge, honestly, is, is fighting for high quality, excellent content. Um, in a content world that feels very focused on content farming, algorithms, and really fighting for vision. And the reason I think that's a woman's uh, challenge is because for me, and I might be biased, but I think women are visionaries. You know, women are the, you know, the people that we have turned to for the top, top quality content throughout the years. And we're really having, in my opinion, a crisis um, because of, dig I mean, I think the digital world has brought many, many wonderful uh, things that have made our lives easier. And, and there's certainly plenty of content out there. But um, I do think that we're kind of caught in this role of being content farmers. And um, I'm, I'm looking to women, I'm, you know, so I'm not going to say something like, you know, balancing home and work like that to me feels like another effing era. Am I allowed to curse here? Or is yes. that? Like, yes, go ahead. No go for it. Okay. <laughs> but it also seems like another fucking era. Like, can we stop talking about that? And let's just start talking about like, really not fear based and just excellent uh, putting out excellent work. I love that answer. It's so, it's so funny what you say about work-life balance. I mean, we have talked about that on this podcast, which is for women about like, we don't even talk about work-life balance anymore. It's like, yes, we want balance, but sometimes it's going to be more work and sometimes it's going to be more family. And sometimes it's going to be pure chaos. And like, we're just, we're trying to make it happen. The content conversation is interesting because literally my company, Mass Head Media was born from this idea of like, creating quality content. And I'm sure, you know, your brain and my brain and coming from a magazine world where we see like how quality content is created, why it's important. Um, that is, you know, where a lot of this comes from, but I think that's really interesting. And, and as you're talking, what I'm thinking of is like, 
also in the world of influencers and the world of social media and the amount of words and pictures and pieces of information that are out there. Like, what does it mean to create quality? How can we do it? And yeah, I just really love that because it's like to not lose sight of that, which has been so easy to do. Well, that's right. And like every asshole creates content. Right. And it's, that doesn't mean it's good. You know, that doesn't mean it's good. And just it, it, there, there's just so much opportunity for, for real cutting edge um, vision and excellence. Um, but that's, that's where I'm at. I love it. It's great. Any thoughts on as even as content creators, like anything we can be doing to improve the quality of, I mean, even our own quote unquote content, whatever, whatever that means, that's a very, uh, you know, weighted question. Ballers with money. I mean, ultimately it's like the people, the big companies that you and I have worked for are afraid. And so now they're all in the business of content farming. And so, you know, when I worked there, um, Hearst was, they were ballers. Kathy Black was a baller. I mean, she took this 26-year-old kid. Today, 26-year-old kids are doing a lot of things. It's a different era. But back then, that wasn't happening. And she just took this person, me, who was kind of eclectic and just gave me a massive job. And nobody was checking to see what I did. And I know one of the questions you probably will want to ask me is like, what's the best advice you've ever been given? And I'll always remember walking into that job again, as a 26 year old um, running a big brand. And I remember my old boss, Bonnie Fuller, who I'm sure you know well, uh, because she is a visionary. And she just said to me, don't underspend spend, spend, spend. You will never get fired for overspending and delivering high quality content. You're only going to get fired for thinking you're doing a good job underspending and producing shitty content. So I really do think right now we're in a crisis of, you know, the the folks that have the money are very fear-based and we just need somebody who's a baller who's going to come out and do something really different. I'm going to give you like an example that's yeah, not please. oriented, but you know, as a kind of an old lady, I'm 50 now, you know, I'm not very impressed by everything I see. I kind of like, look, I'm like, wah, 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 I've seen this, seen that very cliche bullshit. And then yesterday I was looking at my friend's Instagram on his stories and he went to a fucking like, like fancy party that was held in a creek the table was in the creek the men are wearing shorts the women are wearing dresses that are high enough and they sat there having this gorgeous dinner with their just sitting in the creek and I was like this yes this something new something new different and special and spectacular when I was growing up and I think even though you're younger than me when you were growing up we saw things and in some cases together we did things that were really new yeah and now we're just kind of relying on these very ordinary people that we call influencers um just because they kind of have stepped in uh, where the content create or the big content companies have just been like snoring. Um, 
and I just don't find them very compelling for the most part. It's really interesting, like just to think, I mean, I, I, this is why I have these conversations, get my brain thinking about some of these things, but to think about influencer, I mean, I'm sure this is, this is not innovative at all, but influencers as the new magazine editors and like where the money is and what you're saying is really, I mean, those of us in this community who go and work for like traditional media companies, like thinking like an influencer, but to your point, investing in it. Like we always have this conversation around TikTok where it's like, yes, if you're going to have a TikTok edit, you know, someone doing TikTok, let's say you're a big brand um, as your social media, social media editor, like that's probably one person's full-time job to actually create the amount of, not just like a social media editor, that's a TikTok, that's a Instagram, that's a Facebook, that's doing it all. Um, and it is kind of like, show me the money. So I, I really like, you know, just talking through it and kind of hearing your thoughts on it because we, you know, we have to invest. Somebody who's a baller. Yeah. But somebody who's a baller, not somebody who wants to invest in additional content farming. Like we have a lot of that. Right. Right. (laughs) Check, check. (laughs) And in terms of the way maybe our economy is going, do you think like that we will still see opportunities because this is, you know, just, it's always cyclical and we always see this, or do you think this is going to be the time that kind of these companies pull back even more? And this is going to be more of a challenge for us in the next three to five years. I have something's going to change. You know, something's got to change. I just don't think anything or anybody is particularly compelled, you know, like everybody's just sitting here like, Buh. I mean, I, I feel, you know, I just kind of came back into the world. Um, I was, you know, like Sleeping Beauty um, for a long time. So I, I'm here just talking about it, you know, and I, I love to just talk about it because I think everybody else is just drinking their fucking Starbucks, taking their edibles at night and they're not talking about it because they were just like swiping, 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 looking for something interesting. I think like the whole industry seems like they're in a fucking trance. Yeah. So you know, one of the things I've been doing is every few weeks, I have like a group of women over and it's kind of like a, um, a, a, a group that changes, but you know, they are reporters from top places from the Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, Elle Magazine, Hearst, you know, they're from all over the place. And we just like kind of sit around and we talk and it feels like a coven and it feels kind of secret. Um, and I'd be curious to see if something doesn't come out of that, to be honest with you. I love that. That's fabulous. I've also felt like during the pandemic, there was just this lull in like networking and conversation. It sounds really basic, but I had found all of a sudden, I feel like people are coming alive. Like no matter what is happening, you know, not that we're out of it, but as things evolve, people are coming alive and these conversations are starting to happen again. And I think really big things will come out and of I this. Think it's all about in real life. I mean, for me, I remember, and I'm sure you feel this way as well, being together in an office, that was so vibrant and, and, and I got so much out of it. Um, it felt like every day we'd be creating like new recipes, you know, just by resonating together. And that's part of why I have these things at my house. Cause I, I do feel that the, the in real life component is, is really important. 
And I love that. I love what you're doing because also we've been, I mean, we're having, everyone's having this conversation every day, but like about the office and what's the office. And, and for us at our company too, it's like, we don't want to go back to the way the office was just because that's the way it was. And because we're paying a high rent and like, that's just it. But the in like in-person conversations are so valuable. So what does that look like? How do we do that? Uh, yeah. Leaders, that's the other problem that's happened. And, and you would know better than me, because like I said, I've been I've been kind of sleeping for for 15 years. But, you know, when I was there, there were people like me that have big mouths, and we had fucking opinions and a vision. Now it seems like who runs even the big brands are very nice capable people and very nice capable people don't change the world they might be part of that you know what i mean but they're not right now is not a time for very nice capable managers right now is a time for fucking pirates you know what i mean to be like let's do something fucking crazy and there's just like not anyone like that out there really you know, Interesting. yeah, we have a lot of young listeners and I'm excited for them to hear like, shake it up, shake up the industry. There's space. I mean, they're not necessarily, you know, who those yet, yet those leaders, but to be on that path, I think is really exciting. And to not look at what other people are doing. I mean, that was one of the, the most important things to me when we worked together. And, and prior to that was, I never want to hear, let's do what this, this magazine is doing, or let's do what this brand is doing because they've already done it. Like that's fucking boring. Like I used to always say to my editors, like, go talk to God and then come talk to me. Tell me your <laughs> stupidest idea. Tell me your craziest idea. Tell me the idea you think is going to make me laugh at you. Because to me, that is usually like, I remember when I created Cosmo Girl and I came up with the sticker page and this was where like being crazy and having money, you know, meets up because like nobody else was doing a sticker page. Um, it was kind of a wacky idea. They, they certainly had to like really production wise, price that out, figure out how we're doing it. And it costs a lot of money. I think it was like over a hundred thousand dollars every issue. So it's a big investment, right? Like if you got no money, like you can't, you know, you got no sticker page. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's no money to stickers. Like, yeah. It's like, how, how do you take wacky ideas and deep pockets? I feel like that's kind of what the, that that's what we need in our world right now to to shake things up yeah and even if you don't have the deep pockets right now like the wacky ideas I mean I like about I like that like how and I think that's also probably like to tie it all together part of the IRL conversation of just like people just kind of starting to talk and bouncing ideas off each other I mean we're missing a lot of that like I've heard some very creative solutions companies are having for the remote like essentially brainstorm because we're missing that stuff just like chatting about ideas that's not it does not happen as much in this virtual world it really really doesn't so um let's manifest the deep pockets like because uh, i yes. hear you saying like well maybe we don't have it yeah maybe we do okay maybe i'm gonna fucking do <laughs> i'm all for manifesting i mean especially when it comes to money let's do it i want every listener to be thinking about that as well that's mm. that is I, I i'm into it um, and I want to be part of your coven also. Oh, really? All right. <laughs> okay. You talk. can't have any baby excuses. No baby excuses. <laughs> Somebody's going to be holding that baby and you come. Uh, great. I love it. I have um, drinks flow freely, the tears and the laughter, all of it. Oh, man. Oh, man. I need that. Bring on, bring on the babysitter. Amazing. <laughs> 
Do you have a, I would say, although maybe I'm biased, well-known path in terms of your career, but would love for you to walk our listeners through your path, how you, you know, where you started, how you did end up as the youngest EIC at Hearst. And, you know, tell us more about what you're, what you're doing now. Cause I know there's been, it's been a evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was very lucky in that I was at Cosmopolitan Magazine. I, I started there right out of college. I went to Barnard College and I was very lucky in that I was there at a time that there was a lot of transition. So when I was there for the first few years, the legendary Helen Gurley Brown was the editor and I was a fashion assistant, but like I kind of always, I don't know how to say it. I never, ever fucking complained about my job. Like I was just like all in, so into it. They could ask me to like wipe the horse shit off their shoes. And I'd be like, thank you, thank you. And I would do it just because for me, you know, and and, and I'm sure many of your listeners are like this. My life growing up was kind of challenging. And so this was my way, like this was my out, you know, like this world of, of fashion and magazines and whatnot. So it was just, I was in for whatever they wanted me to do. And that was helpful because I kept getting, I'd always get promoted. I never once asked for a promotion. Wow. In fact, every time I got promoted, I was like, wow, it was like a surprise. Like I was like, oh, great. like thank you. And, and so I never was kind of, I just energetically was just in it. And that helped somehow push me forward always. Um, and so when Helen left and Bonnie Fuller came, uh, I just was, again, re I had no bad attitude. Like, you know, I, there's a lot of fucking gossip and eye rolling and bullshit. I remember from when I was an editor in chief, I just never participated in that. Whenever the new people came, I was like, how can I serve you? You know, like I was, you would think I was in the hospitality business. Um, and that was just kind of my attitude and a little bit that is cultural. I'm from Iran. I remember when I was an editor in chief, one of the executives at Hearst, one of those like, you know, good old boys who'd been there for a long time, older guy was like, do you notice that you bow every time you see me? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't notice that, but I'm kind of not surprised. But I do have that, you know, some cultures have like almost like a hospitality vibe. I had that. Um, and I think it served me for better or worse. I mean, I, I think for better. And so when Bonnie Fuller came, it was rough and it was a different kind of vibe. There were people there that were really kind of shitty, bitchy, gossipy, mean, a lot of backstabbing. And so I kind of learned that. I hate to say it. Like, I just was like, oh, the rules have changed. Yeah. <laughs> it. And so, you know, I've, I've recently looked back at even that era and seeing like, there was a lot of like elbowing people out of the way. I participated, I did that. And um, so I just kind of changed with every culture. Like the first culture was was just really, it was all the editors were just much, much older, like the age of our parents. And so I was the good girl. Then when the elbowing happened, I had like the fucking toughest elbows in the room. And then when Kate White came, um, I was again, just super helpful to her. Um, 
helpful enough that again, I didn't create any, I didn't give anybody ever a reason to want to get rid of me. Cause I just was to the people above me. I was just always very helpful. And then I remember being in a car with her, um, coming back from a fashion show and she said, Kathy Black, um, you know, is talking to different people because they, I think they want to do a teen magazine at Hearst. They don't really know what they want to do. Will you talk to her? She didn't, I was like, sure. You know, I didn't really even know who Kathy Black was, to be honest with you. Like when you're in the fashion department, you're kind of just very fashion centric. Um, but I was like, sure, happy to. And um, I was just always very much myself. Um, and so I showed up to that meeting. Again, I didn't really know what she expected or wanted, but I had worked at Sassy Magazine when I was in college and I had some thoughts. Um, I had some thoughts about the, you know, teen magazines, because like you, I grew up reading them and feeling kind of a little bit disenfranchised from them, you know, and I, there were some opportunities I thought, but again, I just wasn't thinking anything about it. And at the end of that meeting, she said, all right, do a project for me. And I was like, sure. You know, I didn't know what that meant. Um, and when I called Kate White, the editor of Cosmo, and I said, oh, she asked me to do a project, you know, what's that? And she was like, holy shit, you're up for the editor-in-chief job. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I just didn't, again, kind of like how the promotions came without my asking. Um, this also came without my asking and really just as a result of, I think, showing up for Kate White, honestly, when she first came to Cosmo and she wanted to give me an opportunity to meet with her boss. I don't think she thought it was going to end up this way either. I don't think anybody did, but, but ultimately she liked my idea. And how did you present, how did you present that project? What, what, what was that? Yeah. So what I, what I learned um, uh, after she said, do a project for me is that a project or a prototype would be um, three tables of contents, and like a prototype, like, um, you know, just using, they didn't even say using what, and I didn't ask, um, but just to put together like a mock-up of the mm -hmm. issue and to most importantly, create a cover. So three tables of contents to show how it would sort of roll out over a few issues, a cover, and then like some, some of the, some of the pieces from the table of contents uh, brought to life within them. And again, I was 26. I was coming from fashion. I, it was also a secret. I couldn't really tell anybody I was doing it. And I said, when do you want it? She said, sooner rather than later. I don't know what that meant. So I just, <laughs> it was like Wednesday. So I, it was like Wednesday afternoon I met with her. So I decided that meant Friday. Like I just, now I know people would take like months possibly to put this thing. I just didn't know. So I just got really, I got busy and um, I did it in a very probably somewhat like artsy craft, art and crafts, like kid way. I didn't do it professionally. I like cut things out of many different magazines, um, but the ideas were there. Like that idea of, you know, for me, and to this day is true. The interior life is very important to me. And, um, and that was like the lead section front of book for Cosmo Girl was called Inner Girl. And nobody else was doing that. Like it was always like beauty, fashion, fitness. Um, I wanted something about the, like sort of the interiority of our, of our reader. And um, yeah, just, 
like I liked objectifying boys. You know, we did things like boyometer and stickers and centerfolds. I just thought that was kind of fun and funny and like they objectify us, like why not? Um, and uh, yeah, so I pitched it to her. I did the, you know, the girl is my handwriting, um, Cosmo Girl, that was with lipstick. And when I pitched it to her, it was funny. So that Friday, uh, Kate White let me like kind of not work for two days, but use my office because I did have to print stuff out. And I did some of my work, but I think that Friday I was like just busy printing, printing, printing. And um, my printer broke. <laughs> and I was like, oh. and I wasn't able to like, the, by the time the dude came from wherever to come yeah. fix printer it was like six o'clock and I was like oh she's gone for sure and I had my assistant call her assistant and I hear my assistant on the phone and she was like hi Pamela and she was like Kathy and it was Kathy Black answered herself and she was like Akusa has a thing for you and she was like just have her bring it over now and so I walked over there because I thought I was just dropping it off and um, I walked her through it and then she put the cover and I remember it was Katie Holmes. Like I had taken an outtake of a, a cover that 17 had run the very clean, happy cover. And I did like kind of a more of a bad girl cover. And uh, I put that or moody, we can call it moody on the wall. And she just was like kind of looking at it and not saying anything. At one point I was like over talking. Right. I was talking too fast and too much. And she kind of held my hand, which I think is so beautiful. She, Kathy Black was such a mother figure to me. I don't think she intended to be or tried to be, but she was. But I remember she held my hand and she was like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, just be in yourself. Like she was sensing my fear. And, um, and so then, but then she, was just kind of looking at the cover for a long time, like maybe like over five minutes without saying anything. And I was just, I didn't know where this was going. And so she finally said, it looks like we have ourselves a magazine. I didn't know what that meant. Like now I know what it meant, but at the time I was like, does that mean, and you now take the idea and I'm back in the fashion closet? like. <laughs> Thanks, dumbass. Like, I just <laughs> didn't know. And I honestly was like not empowered. Like, I didn't feel empowered to ask. And she shook my hand and I like shook her wrist because I was so nervous. And um, and it was funny that day, and, and you probably remember this from the magazines, fashion editors and beauty editors often get these ridiculous perks that like nobody else gets. And and that day, Betsy Johnson, for some reason, had loaned us like the expensive Mercedes convertible, like from Mercedes, like not, you know, the fancy one, like not the CLK or whatever, right. the, the one that older rich people have. And like, we had that car. So my husband was waiting for me downstairs in that car. And we were going to Shelter Island, again, for some thing that was given to us. Right. And, and as we're driving out to shelter, I, it was a Friday night. He was like, well, how did it go? I was like, I think it went well, but I don't really know what's happening. And so that was kind of like the last peaceful weekend of my life in some ways, 
because that Monday morning, I started to get all the phone calls like, hi, I'm vice president of this, I am vice president of that. And then, and, and away we went. Oh my God. I so value this time hearing the story. Cause of course I like know it, but I've never had the chance to talk it through with you. And, and one thing I take away from like the whole kind of path that's so different, I think, than how we talk about careers is like, you loved your job and that made you successful versus the story of I fought tooth and nail. And I, I mean, of course, I'm sure you had some, some battles in your future, but it's such a beautiful story to be like, I loved it. I did a good job. And now, yes, you have to then have like the people around you caring and recognizing you. That's the, the hard part. Forever, even as an editor-in-chief, at the end, I made a shitload of money. I never asked for more money. I never, ever asked for more anything. Like I, the only thing I ever fought for was integrity of our work. Like there were times, and I, I didn't even have to fight for that. Like there were times that maybe it was when you were there. Like I remember we ran uh, medical pictures of vaginas, mm-hmm. and like, that was really important to me because as a survivor of incest, like I often think to myself, if when I was a teenager, I had been empowered about my own body, like maybe I wouldn't have felt so much shame when something yeah. was happening to me that like I c- couldn't speak of it. So I just wanted our girls to just know, like that's not your fucking vagina, that's your vulva. You know what I mean? Like everyone thinks it's a vagina, but it's actually a vulva and, um, you know, things like that. And I remember when it ran and we got pulled off newsstands at like, you know, more religious places like Albertsons, um, you know, and I got some blowback that I was happy to fight for, you know, for our creative freedom. And by the way, Kathy Black was on our side. So like, it's not like I had to fight. I just had to stand up for our freedom. Um, with people within the company that maybe it inconvenienced. Um, but in terms of like my career, I just loved it. It's like, you don't have to teach, you don't, you don't have to teach your kid, your five-year-old to love ice cream, right? You give that kid a five, like an ice cream cone. They're like, Wah. like, that's how I felt. <laughs> It is. It's amazing, though. I mean, it really is. If the kid doesn't want, like, I actually have a kid who doesn't like ice cream. Nope, I don't believe you. Greek salad. Give her a Greek salad. She fucking destroys it. You know what I mean? So it might not be ice cream, but for me, that was my ice cream. Or in the case of Avalon, her Greek salad. (laughs) That I mean, it's real. It is beautiful, though. Like you did what you love. You loved it. You had success without, you know. And and even like now, when I'm when we're hiring more entry-level people and it's like don't start from day one being like okay what's next it's like try to enjoy the job give it a year if you don't like what's here you won't like what's next either it's great so start right where and kellen Curly brown used to say it always if you always do what you love it'll you'll always be just it'll you will be natural and and um i think she was exactly right that's, that's amazing. It's so great. And, and then, you know, you went on to be editor-in-chief of Seventeen. The path to that, was that natural just from the success of? Yeah, but it was a little fraught. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the, the skinny. I don't know if I have yeah. But um, so I was a Cosmo girl and um, I had a number two from day one. Her name was Sabrina Weil. You might know her because she yes. was 17 with us as well. And Boy, was she important to me. Uh, 
first of all, every single person that worked there, you know, there was like this sort of cult of Atusa, like because I was so young and kind of mediagenic, but oh boy, everybody that I worked with was such an important part of my success and the success of both magazines. But Sabrina in particular, um, because uh, I'm a dyslexic and that's part of why, Julie, it took so long and it maybe didn't affect you as much, um, but the editors would have remembered, like our process always took a lot longer than perhaps they were used to at other magazines because I just, my process and speed is low, slow. I read at, and yet I fucking insist on reading every single word, every single round, right? So somebody else who has that disability might be like, all right, I trust my people. And it's not that I didn't trust my people. It's that I was so fucking devoted to our reader. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. It's like you, your kid. It's like how you feel about your children. Like, you know, like you're not going to just outsource certain corners yeah. yeah so she was really important to me um she fucking went to 17 to be the editor-in-chief of 17 and I was like oh I felt betrayed I was so upset I couldn't believe it I mean I could believe it of course like when you're working with me she's gonna be the editor-in-chief if I'm there you know like so if she wants to be an editor-in-chief as which she should this was her great opportunity and, but you know, I couldn't help but have feelings. And, but then shortly thereafter, first by 17. And then I'm like, oh my God, this was an ego moment. Cause like a little bit, you start to believe Atusa, Atusa, Atusa. And I was like, oh, she's gonna be like, oh, she's gonna be at a bigger magazine than me at our company and like, I didn't say it to anybody this was like me complaining to my husband like right. <laughs> and uh sort of having like a little tantrum but in very short order um I'm talking like maybe the next day you know like or oh, that yeah. day like it would oh, this that last long it was me just being like ah and then uh, because I'd, I'd also become kind of like the teen expert, you know, even though there were other teen magazines, like I was kind of the one. And I don't know, I just got very egoic. And um, in very short order, I got a phone call from a wonderful guy, so smart, called Michael Wolf. And at the time, Michael Wolf was like the head of media. Um, I'm going to plug in my little computer too. Um, was the head of media for um McKinsey he just was like he didn't say we're thinking about you for 17 he just said hey what do you think like what what would you do at 17 and um so I quickly put together a prototype um and uh I think I knew who I wanted to work with so I must have known I must have known that it was that because I reached out to somebody who was at another company like who I wanted to have as my, I think we did the prototype together, Jessica Musumichi. Oh uh, yeah. She was, yeah, she was at Allure at the time. And we, yeah, we created like for me, like my vision for 17 was to do um, uh, 
go back. You know, I had felt 17 had gotten very kind of poppy, like, you know, again, going back to the, let's do it the way other people do it. Like teen people was very big right. and sometimes seems suddenly have like pop stars on the cover and like, I don't know, like this, I was like, let's just go back to being elegant. And um, yeah. And so then they moved me over to 17 uh, and that was a little awkward because Sabrina had been there. Um, but to her credit, uh, not long after she came back and, and worked with me at 17. Yeah. I think she was there when I, I think she was there when I was there for a, for a period of time. So I was wondering I, about that. I, I didn't, I mean, I, I thought she was fantastic, you know? Yeah. So I don't like whatever that thing was when she went to 17, like it was more like a, you know, when your boyfriend breaks up with you to go out with somebody else, but then, but, but then you realize, oh, they were, they were a good match, you know, right. like at first, <laughs> and then, you know, uh, so yeah, so we ended up working together again and, and I adore her. I love that. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, and you had this amazing time at 17 as leader of that magazine and, and, and then you left on your because you wanted to leave what would what went into that because I think that's one of the I hate hardest things like you say like oh and you were said 17 and blah 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 I immediately was like I don't like this oh no um yeah n- n- not that I hated my job I let's see uh 17 I had to be true to what my my vision for 17 was that it was a more sort of externally focused magazine um and and we did have uh we did have things certainly that were about our readers interior life but it was to me that's the point of differentiation and Cosmo Girl was my baby and I wasn't going to just go to 17 and do more of that mm-hmm. I wanted both of them to succeed I wanted both of them to be in what I felt was their right DNA um but despite my background being fashion uh, and even a little beauty believe it or not when I was an intern uh that just wasn't super fun for me so I immediately felt it and um I wanted to make 17 like hit what we needed to hit as quickly as possible which is why I pitched the um, MTV show. Yeah. Like that was something that, uh, like I remember we'd had a corporate meeting on like ways to move uh, the, the needle, revitalize 17 because it had really been beat up over the years that we didn't own it. Um, and my idea was to do a reality show and everybody at the table was like, oh, please. They didn't even want to, they just, it was a bunch of guys. And I remember they just completely ignored it, like in such a rude way, like in an eye rolly way, like, okay, yeah, whatever. And at the time, the Osbournes was very big and um, Jessica Simpson's reality show on MTV. That was like the beginning of that stuff. And so I just got an agent and uh, pitched it and we got it. And it was actually, we got it. And this is like, we're manifesting. Like when you say, well, not everybody's going to have money or whatever. No, yes, they are. We're going to manifest money for like big ideas. And that's kind of, we just manifested an MTV reality show with the same showrunners as 
uh, Jessica Simpson and the Osbournes. And although our show was the beginning of MTV not being as huge as it once was, um, and so the show is not necessarily you know, something that's going down in like the annals of reality show history, um, it brought a lot to our bottom line. In fact, if I remember correctly, that year, our show brought more money in to Seventeen's bottom line than advertising did. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Because it also brought different advertising opportunities as, you know, tie-ins or whatever. So it was kind of great. And um, also like I got very big um, for some reason during 17, I think Gawker was like obsessed with me. Um, so they were writing about me every day and all of like, I think the show contributed to that. And I don't know, like it all just felt um too much mm -hmm. but I was also you know having affairs like even though I was this like you know role model whatever I was having affairs and I just wasn't like I wasn't being the person I wanted to be and it was and I, I wrote about it recently I had gotten pregnant from I would it wasn't like having affairs like a thousand different people there'd be relationships that would right. last a while and from one of those relationships the last one I got pregnant and I had an abortion within two months I was out I just couldn't do it anymore I just was like this is too much like Gawker writes about me all the time I have this whole other life happening why am I doing this you know there was there that that was one dialogue that was happening inside but on the outside, I was talking to them about work, uh, like, you know, what's next. And they also, this was the beginning of digital really being important and the beginning of these companies just not fucking seeing it. And I remember, you know, in the lead up to my budget meeting, meeting with the like the like the vice president assistant to the president like like the people that we meet with in advance of your budget meeting to kind of create your budget and I said this is the plan you're going to take me and my top team and put us on 17.com we need five people to make the magazine that's all we need is five people right now we have junior people no offense working online you need me working online. You need my art director. You need like, we shouldn't just be giving, you know, like giving them little dribs and traps. Like this 17.com is the most important thing we have. And they just were like, are you crazy? And they didn't see it. And I just was like, actually, you're crazy. <laughs> and I didn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I just was like, wow, y'all are old and like, you don't get it. And um, I, I remember saying 17, you own the word 17. That is so much bigger 
than a magazine that's big in the United States. You know, the age of 17 is important all over the world. Like, let's build this out. And they just were like, um, do you want to do a special issue? Would that make you feel better? And I just was like, mm -mm -mm -mm. and I had like a lot of people just sort of blowing sunshine up my ass and telling me like, I'm bigger than this. And like, it can, I can do my own things. And I just was like, yeah, I can do my own thing. And so I had like a fancy agent and lawyer and literary agent and, you know, surrounded myself with all of these shiny people. But at the core, core so I did have professional reasons for wanting to leave, you know, and, but then when I actually explored those professional reasons, uh, like those professional opportunities, I, the digital world was not filled with people that were particularly impressive, to be honest with you. Um, there was no Kathy Black there, you know, there was no like serious content people. Um, it was a lot of bros. And I just felt like I worried that like whatever I created wouldn't be successful because I just didn't have faith in the people I was meeting, even though they were the people. Um, and then the opportunities were all things like VH1 wants to do a reality show about what's next for you, or right. this one wants to do a reality show about you. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, and even the book, I, I like the book, I, I had an auction for my book. This is all me because I could have pitched any book, but the book I pitched was like an alpha kitty's guide to having it all. Like, I was just like, that's fucking embarrassing. Like, I don't want that. It, you know, it, like, it's yeah, like it's, and so did it feel, I mean, I'm so, so, I mean, we never talked about this before and hard. I'm like, hard. I was also a train wreck behind the scenes. Right. The point at which this is this was the point. This was the moment that I stopped kidding myself. Um, I after the book auction, my literary agent, who's like a big shit deal, was kind of pissed because I was making a big deal out of I needed my book. I needed them to promise before I signed that they would give me gilded, rounded edges and like a plastic cover that looked like a bible and a ribbon like a bible and they were like yeah so we can't put that in advance of the thing and so I was just like well then I'm not signing and the agent was like kind of pit like he was a little short with me and I said to my husband who'd always just agreed with everything I said I was like, well, you understand, right? This is my vision. Like I need my vision to be upheld. And he was like, honey, it just doesn't sound like you want to be in business. Cause if you want to write a book, you'd write a book. Like you wouldn't be letting it hang on whether or not you had like gilded rounded edges. Like, and I was just like, you know, when you hear truth, it just hits different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're like, what, what, whoa. Um, Oh, Nelly. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of it because who thinks, you know, you don't think you're going to stop, especially when you're going at that pace. Well, I say you were going so fast. You didn't even, I mean, I'm sure in retrospect, you're like, I didn't stop to think about any of that. Right. You're just like going, going, going. 
that I'd work forever and that I would never take a break because I didn't have children. It didn't seem like a natural thing to do. And then that was it. Um, I, I stopped. I did. I stopped. And um, during that time, I made a couple of things that were like uh, for fun because I wanted to learn how to. I, I felt back then that um, digital was going to be important. Uh, video on online was going to be important. And I wanted to kind of learn how to do that. So I made some series of videos called Alpha Kitty um that in retrospect were really interesting i mean it was um a lot of non-binary and trans folks um so it you know it was interesting but I, I was really more doing it almost like as an art project to learn about video production and uh then i had three children yeah <laughs> but I a lot of time during that time of having the three children working as hard on myself as yeah. i did when I was working. So I did tremendous everything from therapy for the incest and, um, oh gosh, so many different things. So, yeah. And it's, I mean, the two things that you're way ahead of your time on beyond digital, because to hear you say like, yeah, the team, I mean, I was literally 26 and I was like, exactly what you're saying like working on that website not having the access to the magazine team which well, is like shake us down to get things that it, shouldn't be the place it's it was insane like it's not I mean we I knew at the time everyone kind of on the editorial time sorry editorial side understood it was crazy but that just was not the setup but also just ahead of your time in terms of like mental health and self-care like even talking hearing you talk about Cosmo Girl as like a magazine essentially maybe we didn't use those words but like about self-care when now that is you know a huge conversation like you really I got so much pushback like I can't tell you how many times the publisher but all of like even the president of the company would say let's make beauty or fashion the first front of book section um because that's where you know the more um uh the better real estate for advertisers. And I was like, no, it has to be inner girl. I recognize that's not sexy to advertisers, but that's our calling card. Mm -hmm. And I remember even doing interviews where they would ask me like uh, trade publications would ask me like, why is that your first section? Cause it was so weird. Um, but it was just, I do think that I guess like, you know, when we do what we feel called to do, we may not, like back then, I couldn't have possibly known how important the interior life is to me today. And that, you know, right now I'm kind of a relic of the past, right? You're talking to me as your former boss and wow, I used to be big. And now I'm like, you know, mommy of three and doing sub stack that's free. Um, but I'm fucking back, yeah. you know, and I feel that, that a woman's brand is to be launched. That is really hearing where women are today. And in some ways rescuing them from the trance that's been created. I believe that connection, um, uh, and, and just like an, an emphasis on oneself, 
uh, and, and unconditional love of oneself. Like that's the new relationship, right? Cosmo used to be the biggest magazine in the world. And it was about that externalized relationship with sex and love with your partner. But I think we all know that our, our relationship with ourself is really most important. The question is, how do we make it compelling? Um, you know, who's going to fucking fund it? Because I don't think you get great people for free. You know what I mean? Like, I want to yeah. pick. I want to be running a team where we're paying people good money, but also creating a really good product. You know, you kind of get what you pay for. And that doesn't mean that you're you're paying for bad talent, but when you don't pay people well, they're not going to fucking do a great job for you. You they know won't what prioritize I mean? it. And they won't prioritize it over. I mean, why should they? I think that all the time, like hundred percent like let's fucking pay people well and let's create something that's fucking dynamite yeah. uh, I think that I think that that opportunity is really really ripe right now and so what do you so how did you decide to come back and I think this is I mean to me also just to contextualize it all like to decide to take a break for your everything I mean literally well-being like you're you're to be a human is so amazing and I hope everyone can even if you you know even if people can't fully step out to like take a second just to take a beat take a beat um but then you know once you had a lot of years to think and work on things how did you decide to kind of transition back and then what do you where do you want to go well one of the things that I feel I, I wanted to really work on when I left was my marriage. Cause I'd been already at that point married 10 years. And, you know, as I told you, I was kind of stepping out on my marriage. And um, so as I worked on it and we worked on it together um, in time, I realized, you know, I, I don't know if you have anything like this in your life. Like you go to therapy and you talk to your friends and you're always trying to figure out like, like something's kind of not right. And like, you're like, is it this, is it this, is it this? And there's a voice and there's like a secret in your heart that's saying it's this, it right. matters. You know what I mean? It's that. And you're like, okay, but let's just say it's anything like that. Let's anything but that. And then eventually you realize it's fucking, you know what I mean? Um, and so I got uh, separated in 2020, right before the pandemic. And I, I went through a series of like first that, you know, to process that grief because of all the work I'd done over those, those like 13, I think it was like 13 years or so. Um, rather than day drinking or like ping-ponging around from man to man or anything like that or overeating um I really processed it in fact I just looked on Instagram it said I didn't post it for a reason that's not important I should if I see it again I'll post it it said like show the first hidden the first picture in your hidden file and it's a picture of my face like a month or two months after the separation where like I had been like on the floor of my bathroom bawling. I have three kids. It's a pandemic. I'm homeschooling them. This guy is like out, like trying to like have sex and move out of our house during the lockdown. And, and I was like such a mess. And I remember being like, this is so low. I want to remember how low this yeah. is. It's like childbirth, like how we kind of forget how much it hurt. 
I'm like, I was like, I want to capture how much this hurts because you can see it on the outside. Mm. And I have that. Um, but yeah, like I, that was a heart, you know, I, my heart wasn't broken in terms of our relationship, but my heart was broken for my family. And you understand that because you have those two little girls, like the last thing I wanted to do, you know, I would, I, the last thing I wanted to do is do that to my children to um, break up their family. And, um, so I went through that. Then I went through what was like a massive, massive heartbreak and in a relationship. And then through that heartbreak, I really learned unconditional self-love. I actually like did certain things in order to actually, for the first time in my life, learn what that is to actually love myself and not judge myself. And I remember when I learned that, I was like, oh, I have something to share. I have to share this right away. And I didn't know how to do that because um, I had been off social media for all those years. Um, and so I asked a friend of mine uh, who's very smart and in media, and he was like, oh, do Substack. Like, that'll be, you know, and so I did that. So I just like, I wanted to share that. That's all I knew. I was, there was no like strategy in place. Um, and then I just kept regularly writing. And how does it feel? Listen, I'm going to be honest with you because I don't know how to be anything other than I like having fun with him. You know, I'm like dyslexic. Like I'm much better. I consider myself to be a conductor. I, can I play the violin? A little, but like you're a violin player. Like what I'd rather do is like come really close to you and be like, Julie, play like a little like this and then there and then bring it. And then you're like, and then you as a very skilled musician can then do the thing that I want to hear in my heart, but I could never execute myself. You know what I mean? And so that's what I like is just really directing people that are the very best at what they do. Um, just to, to make the music that's in my heart, the music that I hear, but like, I'm not the musician. I'm just not that. I don't have that talent. So like, do I like writing subsec? Yes. Am I a fantastic writer? No, I'm not. I would rather have a team, you know, that's how I like to work. I get it. That's me. Yeah. I have no team. Now my team is two fucking nine-year-olds and a 14-year-old and my team <laughs> fucking complain <laughs> complain about me and make demands <laughs> I was gonna say that doesn't sound like the ideal uh team working working hard for you behind the scenes I hate I hate to say it working in that team and that's me <laughs> just a bunch of teenagers I'm like probably fun to be around but maybe not uh you know the editorial team that you need <laughs> <laughs> My old walked into uh, one of the gatherings that I was having and I don't remember so one of the women was like oh my god what's that like that your mom is and she just like literally she has green hair rolled her eyes and was like took a sandwich and was like peace <laughs> it humbles you you can't get to you cannot when you are a mom of teenagers you cannot there's no ego I think the ego has it's gone, right? <laughs> it's amazing. But to that end, uh, she does she does read Cosmo Girl, like the old issues, and and she does she does love it. But that's so yeah, special. I'm impressed. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, in terms of self care, like what 
what kind of advice do you have? You said you do the work. I think that's especially now in like the world we're in. So many people want to do it. What advice do you have about, you know, to even, you know, if, even if you can't dedicate as much time or energy to it, the bare minimum, like what should we be doing to? There's two things I want to say. One, one is a little annoying, but it's true. And it's, it is my, really the secret of my success always is I don't ever want you to start with, well, maybe we can't do as much mm-hmm. or maybe can't, because that is how we manifest, right? We can't, if we say, but maybe it won't be that <laughs> always just have the vision. Like w- when you say to me, what's next? Like, and I say to you, let's run a global women's brand. We're going to fucking change the world. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, well, maybe today a global women's brand is not possible, but maybe we can do. <laughs> so like the most important thing, just even in manifesting like self-care for oneself is not to start with like how, how small you can make it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, rather <laughs> like how big. Um, And the most important number one piece of advice I would give is daily meditation. It sounds fucking annoying. Everyone knows you should do it, but it's not about doing it when you can, because it's like, if you brushed your teeth when you can, um, nobody would want to have a conversation with you and you would look like a scare. And meditation is like brushing your teeth for your inner life, but it only works if you do it every single day. And what I would recommend in terms of how you get there to do it every single day is even just very simple as going on to YouTube. There's two teachers that I think are really like, if like step one is Sharon Salzberg, has a 10 day loving kindness meditation challenge to start with that. It's like so simple. It's like 15 minutes um, and loving kindness meditation. Another word for it is meta. Meta is, um, is a great way for people who are less self-absorbed than I am because it's less about yourself and it's more about sending meta out to other people. So um, I think you do that for 10 days. Then you move on to a guy called Jack Cornfield. Cause, and I say, go to him because his meditations are like 20 minutes and then just do a different Jack Cornfield meditation, 20 minutes every day. And you don't say, but I'll do it when I can fit it in. Mm-mm-mm. Like no matter how late you are for work, no matter how late you are for the most important meeting of your life, you don't leave the house without brushing your teeth. You always brush your teeth, no matter how late you are. And I think that how I do meditation is rather than figuring out when I can fit it in, it's what else can I fit in after I do that? So it's the opposite. So you don't have to do it at five in the morning. Some people like to do that. But I do think it's very important to create that regular space, 20 minutes and do it. Um, it will change your life. And not only will it change your life, but if every single person who's hearing my voice today, um, every woman meditated every day, we would change the world. And we would change the world of women in media. 
because what meditation has brought to my life is incalculable. Um, and it's a certain level of clarity. Um, all the things, everything from just all the shit that we are struggle with kind of, I don't know. It's like a scrubbing for your inside. It's incredible. So I can't say enough about that. I love it. That's great. I mean, clearly I, I, I have some work to do. I love this conversation being like, Julie, also you, you need to visualize it all. But I mean, as you're, a bunch of things you said today, it's just like prioritization. It's been a really big focus for me. So that's maybe why I'm hearing it also, but you're saying it with the meditation, but also with other things in your career, prioritization, like you, I, for me, I have realized, especially recently to like, look at everything and re shift and reprioritize. And like you're saying, some things, some things can't be done without the other things. Right. And, um, that's the brushing teeth. I love that comparison of like self-care being the same as dental hygiene, which it really, especially now. An hour every day. We, we do things that take 20 minutes, you know, but we don't take care of our inner life. And we wonder why we're sad or we're unfulfilled. Um, and, it's a very, it's like low hanging fruit. And once you start doing it, it feels so good. You know, it just, it's a really good feeling. And, and I think for some people, apparently it's hard to be with your thoughts. Um, but that's, you know, I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's kind of my brand, you know, like in terms of, uh, you know, and that's part of what I bring to the circles that I do. And so if you have like, you know, the people who listen to this are women in media and they're interested in coming to the circles, they can, you know, email me at atusa.com. But like, that's what we make space for in the circles is the things that we kind of don't want to say. Um, and we support each other through those things. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. And, and, and even earlier in this conversation, when you're talking about, you know, when, when Bonnie Fuller came to Cosmo and the, what it felt like, like, you know, I also worked in magazines. I also worked in this environment of just like women treating each other like total and utter <laughs> garbage. And yes, in retrospect, we could all look back and say whatever, but just looking forward of like, let's support each other. Let's lean on each other. Let's hold each other accountable to take care of ourselves above and beyond. And, and I think we're seeing that and whether, you know, it, it's a reputation of a future generation for not working as hard. And I'm using that with quotes, extreme quotes, because I think that's a little bit uh, of some of the things we're seeing is just, you know, some of these trends of quiet quitting and, and different, different things that were, have a negative connotation, but really is like taking care of yourself and taking care of each other. It's, it's really important. And you, you've been thinking about it all along. So, so thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what, not to completely shift gears, but to shift gears. Cause one thing, you know, I think a lot of people wanted to hear you talk about and I know our producers had this question of like the magazine industry, like what WTF. So we see, you know, a lot has changed since you work in magazines, looking at it from, from your perspective, where do you see it going? You know, we, we kind of know why it's gotten here. Content farming. Yeah. It's just content farming. I mean, we just need, we need somebody to be a baller and bring pay 
visionaries to, to have vision and then they pay for that vision. You know, it's as simple as that. Like right now they're paying for content farming. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. It's just different. Everybody, like if we look at it as an orchestra, everybody's got different skill sets and they want to run the orchestra without a conductor. And because the conductor costs a lot of money and they're like, well, the conductor's not playing any instruments. We don't need a conductor. Who needs that kind of you know, figurehead at a magazine. And it's like, okay, then you're going to have content farming. You know what I mean? Like, because it, you, you, these were, these were like, I wrote, oh, this is a perfect example. When I first started Cosmo Girl, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I did not know what the fuck I was doing. And so when I was first putting together my team, I was like, okay, clearly we need the web editor because we were the first magazine to launch with a website. Amazing. Thank you to you for my entire career. So good. Thank you. (laughs) Needed the, you know, art people and the fashion people and the beauty people. And then I was like, but that pesky managing editor, that person was always like, bothering me about my cell phone bill. That person was always like harping on me for this and that. We don't need that person. So I literally was like, we don't need that person. And then also we're like working 48 hour days. And we're like, what's happening? Like what? Because I just thought I could just edit out that pesky person. And it <laughs> severe consequences on our workflow. And then Lavanel Savu, I don't know if you know him, he's now at InStyle, a true veteran and exceptional human being and managing editor. Um, at the time was the managing editor of Cosmo. And he just came in and he was like, honey, and he just like stepped in like truly a magician and a fairy godfather and all wrapped up in one and was like, okay, and then da, 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 da. And now, and then I think our first managing editor was uh, Kate Westerbeck, who now is the chief content officer at Hearst. Um, but my point is, I thought you just didn't need that person. And I think right now the magazine companies kind of think you don't need that editor in chief that's got, you know, that you pay, you do pay more money for, um, that is more vision based, uh, because they've got all the instrumentalists. And I would argue that that's the recipe for content farming, which is just not very exciting for anybody to do. I don't think that those editors, if I walked into, um, I won't, I won't say 17 because the editor in chief of 17 is a very nice girl. Um, but like, let's say I walk into whatever magazine, those editors, as much of an annoying person I was at the magazine, because I'd be like, nope, we haven't hit it yet. Nope, we haven't hit it yet. Nope, we got to keep trying. I haven't crossed paths with an editor from that time who hasn't said to me, you were such a fucking pain in the ass, but our work was so much better for it, you know? And in the same way, I could have never done that work without them. So we, you know, there's the, they've just taken a piece out at the magazine, mm-hmm. the magazines that I think is kind of crucial. It's a, fa- I mean, it's such a fascinating perspective to hear from you. And, and not that, you know, not that I, not that anyone's asking me, but for me also the brands, like I think to your point of like the content farming and, and the brands starting to like mush together, that is where. Ellen Cosmo, they're all part of the women's group. You know, like there's no difference. 
So how can we get back to those? I mean, those brands are so important. And, and I mean, to me, working at those brands, it was like you live and breathe them. So how can, can we get back there? How can we get back there? I think it's possible, possible if they want to be, if they want to try to bring some, to bring some, something interesting and exciting. Like, do you remember how excited we were when Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian started dating? Like, <laughs> possible and then how excited we were when they broke up like it's possible to create events that are fucking exciting like how I felt about that dinner party in the creek so whether you you bring someone who's super exciting to a top brand to me I think that there's so much momentum against all the top brands right now they've all become just indistinguishable I'm a little bit more excited about somebody with both magazine experience, like let's say like a real magazine company, like a Hearst or something, um, actually doing a baller move and launching a new, a new brand. Um, and, you know, like one of the things, like there was a reporter and I won't, I won't name her name, but very well-known reporter who is at one of my things. And she talked about how she's losing that natural impulse to write the best story because she is, there's so much pressure to write to the algorithm. And, and it's sort of like, she knows, like there's like a voice, still like, it's almost like a phantom voice. That's like the story needs to be. And she just pushes it down and does what she knows is the expectation, which is writing to the algorithm. And that, like, I feel really lucky because I have been feral for all of this time. I don't know what even to put on my Instagram to get more likes, like, I have no idea. Um, I just don't know anything about the algorithm. Um, the only thing I know about is human beings, you know, and like, what are they looking for in life? Because it's similar to what I'm looking for in life, which is peace, joy, and freedom. And how do we deliver peace, joy, and freedom? I know it's not in an algorithm. I'm so excited to see see where you go next. I mean, it really is. It's exciting to, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but for me here, you talk about it, like for you to have taken that break. And like you're saying, to come back to it with like fresh perspective, fresh, yeah. fresh perspective. It's, it's amazing. Thank Unfortunately, you. somehow we've run out of time. I could talk to you quite literally all day. Tell us, tell the listeners, how do they find you everywhere? Tell, how do they sign up for your sub stack? How does it all happen? You didn't ask me what kind of tree I am, Julie. I'm a little oh, bit of- we didn't get to it. We <laughs> were going to ask. I'm a big tree. That's all. That's all you need to know. Um, so I'm atusa.substack.com. Uh, that's my Substack, and you know I'm on Instagram, obviously Atusa Rubenstein. My email is atusa at atusa.com, and um, yeah, and you know I'm doing these like circles; they're free. It's not none, nothing that I'm doing really is for profit at this point. I'm just like kind of wanting to talk to women and and just start living again. Not just me, all of us. Let's just start living, you know, and talking about things that are important. I love it. I'm so excited. I really value the time you spent with me today. It was so fun to catch up, to see your face. Hopefully we'll be able to do it in real life sometime in the near future. Love that. 
So thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate it. It was really good to see you. You've been listening to Women Heard, presented by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orcutt, Elizabeth Roberts, Chrisanne Grizay, Mandy Carr, Shania Anderson, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. And thank you to everyone at New York Wiki for helping us and for supporting our show. For more information about Women Heard, go to nywiki.org slash podcast. That's nywiki.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.